Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, not alongside as always. He is off trying to figure out who exactly put the bump in the bump, but bump, but bump, and whether or not that's the same person who put the ram in the ramalama ding dong. But have no fear, we are alongside with you for uh, an episode that I'm very much looking forward to. We mentioned in our last episode the situation going on in the United States where USA Curling had expelled, essentially, the Grand National Curling Club, which kind of works like a provincial association here in Canada. And we touched on some of the reasons why, the financials behind it, uh, but we really wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into what was going on, why this had taken place. So reached out to the Grand National Curling Club, and we're very pleased that uh, Kristen Conrad was able to join me to talk about what's going on, the way in which GNCC is set up, some of the background to these current issues, what this could mean for players moving forward in the region, and just in general get a sense of where things stand as we head into a new season for a lot of folks. And uh, it's interesting in the United States, particularly uh, GNCC, they do have a lot of arena clubs who are in the midst of seasons now, playing in the summer, uh, but also have a lot of dedicated facilities who are ramping up. So interesting time for GNCC. Should note, too, that even though the decision to expel GNCC was announced, there still is going to be a vote coming up in the fall to make that official. So things could change uh, moving forward. But uh, as it stands right now, uh, the Grand National Curling would no longer be fully affiliated. So a lot to get to. It is a complicated situation. So let's get right into my chat with Kristen Conrad. All right. And Kristen Conrad joins me now. Kristen, how are you doing today? Hi, Sean. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I know it's a busy time for <laughs> you and then the rest of the folks uh, down there at GNCC. So uh, let's get right into this uh, and a little bit of a primer because the majority of the folks who listened to our show are based in Canada and might not have a good sense of how curling governance works in the U.S. So for anyone who doesn't know, what is GNCC and what is its relationship to USA Curling and and how does the the general structure work for rec level clubs? Yeah, um, kind of a large question. So I'll kind of break it down into history first. I think the history is is a really key thing. So the Grand National Curling Club or GNCC is uh, the largest and oldest region of USA Curling. Um, GNCC actually started um, in 18... Well, I'm going to be quoted on this, huh? 1867. <laughs> um, and so we're about 155 years old or so. And uh, we were essentially the first um, organization to bring curling clubs together in the U.S. Um, and one of the oldest organizations of that that size anywhere, actually. Um, and 
you know, we existed as a service organization um, for all those years. And in the 50s, the GNCC really had no intention of being that national governing body. And so it broke apart into what we now know, uh, have, know of as regions. And the USA Curling Association was uh, was essentially created from that division. So you then have the, the overall NGB, which is USA Curling, GNCC, excuse me, GNCC became the region in the uh, eastern side of the U.S. At the time, it was largely just the northeast, right? But have, we've now grown to include the southeast as well. And um, then, of course, you have about nine regions altogether across the U.S., so the regions, um, and I, I can speak for GNCC, I can't speak for any others, but I believe we're all volunteer run, right? So it's a completely uh, volunteer run board. We're all curlers. We're all um, usually heavily involved in our own clubs as well. And then USA Curling has um, more of a staff. They do run a lot of volunteer um, committees and things like that as well. Um, but they have an executive board and, and actual staff positions that are paid. Okay. And for you at, at GNCC, is the focus on the rec level and the, the grassroots clubs, is that really the, the purpose of the organization to organize around the, the rec level player? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, I, I got into this because I was a, curl, a curler that got involved in our board that then said, you know, I can, I can take this a step further and really represent the Southeast, especially um, within our region. And so for me, we serve the clubs and the curlers, just as the, the club serves the curlers, for example, it's, we're kind of like that next level up. Um, so we our interest is, is firmly grounded in serving our member clubs. Okay. Now, I think for a lot of us in Canada, and Scott and I have said this on the show before, that when we were trying to think of this, it was kind of in the sense of the member associations here, which are provincial, with the exception, of course, of Northern Ontario, which I know gets a lot of people out West angry that Northern Ontario uh, is a thing. <laughs> but, but when we think of, of, or at least for me as somebody who plays in Ontario, what the Ontario, Ontario Curling Association provides is is a couple things. It provides support to clubs, uh, including you know help with insurance and and things like that, while also running events that lead to the national championship. So there's kind of like that parallel track of support for the grassroots and uh, the, the rec level clubs, while also <laughs> feeding into the national elite level programs. Uh, is is that a fair comparison for us up here to look at the regions? in a similar way to our provincial member associations? It definitely is. They're really similar in that way. Um, GNCC actually provides insurance, which is something not all um, not all regions do, but we've provided it for years and years. And so it's something that's kind of historically ingrained in us. Um, we also provide stone rentals to get clubs up and running. Um, I think one key piece about us that's a little bit different is that uh, we have a ton of arena clubs, uh, meaning they play out of hockey ice arenas, right? And so fledgling clubs that really need a lot of support to get going. Um, within our region, we have the, uh, the mentor program. We have a stone rental program so they can actually get stones. We have their insurance. We have uh, you know all kinds of resources, including uh, several funds to um, one, start a juniors program, two, uh, start a dedicated facility of their own, and then three, uh, to recover from any catastrophic incidents. So GNCC having been around for a long time, we've got we've got some trusts that are involved as well. And so um, we have a fairly big balance sheet <laughs> compared to some other regions as well. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big region, right? If you're looking at essentially the whole East Coast, right? That that's a pretty big region. And roughly, how many facilities or club? I shouldn't say facilities again, because you say arena, yeah. uh, arena clubs. How many clubs are members of GNCC? So I believe right now we are at 76, and some of those are, I would say, maybe 10 or 12 are paper clubs, which means um, they're kind of, I don't know if you have this concept in, in Canada, so kind of explaining this, but they're clubs that don't necessarily curl out of a location. Um, I actually am a president of a paper club called Charlando. We have a, you know, a group of people from Charlotte, a group of people from Orlando. We kind of came together. We love to spiel together, and you know, we put our own name on it. We have our own pins. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of a fun, a fun way to unite us in a different way. So we have some paper clubs that aren't necessarily recognized um, by USAC, but you know, instead they're you know, the GNCC recognizes them, and and we kind of contribute to the overall membership in that way. Yeah, the Charlando. I don't know who runs the the social media, but I know when during the curlers <laughs> who cook at the start of the pandemic, Charlando was killing yes. it. That was that. Usually, that's me and um, and Bill Morrison. He's, he's also <laughs> on, our, on our squad. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all are crushing it. So, now the other parallel, though, or the other thing I wonder about is is that feeder into national competitions. You know, we we've talked to folks who have participated, say, in arena nationals uh, as more of a, a rec level type mm-hmm. of a, a national. But when it comes to a USA national events, whether it be men's, women's, mixed doubles, the the wheelchair, uh, what, what role does GNCC or the other regions have within that branch of curling? That's a great question. I think it's it's sort of similar to the, the provincial organizations where we do have playdowns that lead to national competitions. Um, generally, when we have athletes who are you know, particular stars in the curling world, let's say, um, you know, we don't necessarily have a Briar or a Scotties or anything like that. We do have our high performance program that's run out of the Midwest. And so when we have a you know a particularly good curler, they usually, um, you know, they, they can kind of curl from their club, but um, more often than not, they kind of move to the Midwest to be part of that high performance program. And so it's kind of all run from the center of the country a little more. Um, and we, I would say that, um, you know, somewhere around 20, 25% of the, um, you know, the, the people who are playing in and, and doing really well in national events are from our region, usually from the Northeast because it's a little more tenured. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense that, uh, and though th- that's where a lot of the dedicated facilities are too. Uh, right. Just in my understanding of, of yeah. where the facilities are in the country, and it's hard to get to that elite level on arena ice uh, just because yeah. of how inconsistent that ice can be. Uh, so, it is fun. Uh, it is the great equalizer of ice. I will say that. <laughs> I, I, no, no. I I have felt like I've been playing on a Plinko board on arena ice. <laughs> like it really has felt For like sure. that. Uh, but yeah, it is well, fun. You're I right. Started- yeah, I started at, at an arena club, essentially. So Charlotte is is where I am, I'm from. And, you know, we started an arena club that built into a dedicated facility. And so I've kind of seen everything at, at every growth stage throughout, you know, and so that was that was sort of really central to me becoming part of the GNCC board and wanting to be more involved because we have this huge gamut of organizations from, you know, people who just got set up last year and are, you know, they have the rocks and they, you know, they have a very like fledgling group. And then you've got, you've got clubs that are, you know, they've been around for a couple hundred years and they're, you know, they might be going through some level of financial struggle as, as many from the pandemic are, but um, you know, just generally heavily tenured clubs, I'll say. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. I like that description. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that uh, for for a lot of folks, especially up here in Canada, we were kind of mm-hmm. surprised and taken aback at what happened uh, with the announcement from USA Curling. Could you just explain exactly what the decision from USA Curling was and maybe a little bit of the background behind what led ultimately to that decision? Sure. So um, I'll kind of kick it back to the pandemic a bit, because I think a lot of the things that um, bubbled up, bubbled up because we were in this period of, of financial trouble for curling clubs. Right. I mean, I, I imagine you saw it a lot through throughout mm-hmm. Canada as well. Yeah. Um, and during that time, um, USA Curling was kind of going through a leadership change and started making some decisions for the club level um, you know, clubs and, and curlers. And they weren't necessarily received as well. You know, there were some, essentially, I'm, I'm not here by any means to bash the, the USAC. It's just, you know, this is kind of where it started as clubs were expressing some, some concern with how that was happening. So there was a particularly large club in the Midwest that decided that they were going to resign from the USC, USAC and their region as well. And we started hearing some of the same sentiments from our clubs. And we said, oh my gosh, like, what if this happens? You know, we know that we know that USA Curling says that we have to be 95% compliant on dues. What if clubs aren't paying? What if, you know, that what if they're A, financially in distress, or B, they are, you know, not loving these new changes? You know, what is our path forward? And so we, we took this approach of, First, we need to let our clubs know, like, this is what's going on. You know, here are the changes and, you know, think about how this might affect you. Um, B, our stance is like a lot of those clubs are going to, if we had to eject them from the region, for example, a lot of those clubs would be, would potentially fail to exist, right? You'd take away their, their stones, you'd take away their insurance, like all these things that they depend on to curl, right? And so we didn't want to jeopardize their survival. And so our, our proposed stance to our members was, hey, like knowing that this could cause trouble for us as a region, you know, our stance is to support those clubs and not kick them out. Do you agree? And, you know, over the next year or so, we proposed a change to our bylaws and our members voted that change uh, that we are not required, that our, our member clubs are not required to be a member of any other organization. So if you're in good standing with the GNCC, you're in good standing with the GNCC. Um, our position is basically USA Curling kind of needs to own that relationship with the club if they're taking dues from that club and be the ones to really sell them on the value proposition. And USA Curling did not agree. <laughs> so that is that is kind of where we found ourselves for some time. And we were not really able to come up with a compromise to say, you know, they they would not they wouldn't. Um, avoid counting those clubs that resigned in their membership numbers. And so therefore we were going to be 95% um, or, or below in uh, compliance. And so with that, that sort of non-payment status, they voted to remove us as a region. Um, it doesn't mean that any clubs are not part of the GNCC anymore. Um, and it, it doesn't mean actually that that decision is final yet either. So one of the things that you might have seen is that the board voted on the decision and now it has to be ratified by two thirds of the membership of USA Curling, um, meaning all the, the clubs across the across the nation. Right. So that is going to happen in October. 
and we'll see. You know, we don't exactly know as of this point, like, does it make us a, a region or not you know, if, if it doesn't get ratified? So we're just trying to, we're fact finding this at this point because it's kind of happened um, over the past week and a half. So in practical terms, mm-hmm. how much of the relationship between the clubs and USA curling is really falls on you as GNCC? Because as you say, the, the relationship that or your position and GNCC's position is that USA currently needs to manage its own relationships with member facilities, which I, I think that makes sense. But what role does a region necessarily play in facilitating that, whether it's collecting of fees, uh, distributing materials, what, whatever it is, uh, what, sure. what intermediary role is there for the region in that relationship, if any? Yeah, and I think I think one thing also, and I, and I don't necessarily know how it works for Canada, so a little bit extra background. Um, nearly every curling club, as well as every regional association, is a 501c3 organization, so a nonprofit organization. And so part of this this reason that we took this stance was, like, legally, I don't feel like a, one organization can force another organization to do something, right? And so that was that was sort of part of that piece, but. Um, overall, you know, I think there's, there's no doubt that we need a national organization. You know, that was never in question. We're not against the USCA. There is some traditional bad blood there between USAC and NGNCC, um, just some historical feuds, we'll call it. Um, but we've never, we've never discouraged clubs from joining the USAC. And in fact, um, our, our stance is just like, Hey, you can join us. You can join them. You can jo- join both. You can join neither, right? And and if you join neither, if we have a club that's not part of the GNCC that asks me for help, like I'm not gonna deny them help. Like it's not contingent on them being a member of a GNCC, right? So it's um it's one of those things where we found ourselves as an intermediary, but we felt like there wasn't enough happening from the the, the top, so to speak, to manage that relationship. It was more punitive toward the clubs versus giving us a, a positive value proposition that we could then pass. And in, in one of our calls with the USAC leadership, I said, you know, if you'll stop counting these, these resigned clubs in this number, it give me a positive value proposition. I'll even, I'll, I'll make like, I'll coordinate so you can help sell them back. I'll even help you. Right. right. And, and I think to be fair, I really do think this, this sort of bad blooded relationship in the past, um, you know, caused, caused a lack of trust and that sort of thing. So fine. But you know, there, there were a, a few solutions proposed, not only at that call, but um, you know, we sent our what we proposed from our annual meeting, you know, a couple of different options there to kind of mitigate this, but it's it's not come to fruition, we'll say. And now we don't have to get too much into then the history of it and, and the long-term bad blood, but is is it basically financial? Like like or is it is there personality conflict? Like like what what does create I mean, obviously a lack of trust exists between sure. individuals, like human beings. Yeah. Uh, that 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 sort of facilitates that, but at, at its core, what creates or created that gulf? 
I think it was a lot of personality conflicts from years ago that have kind of just carried forward a bit. Um, I've only been on this board for, um, let's see, two years, almost two and a half at this point. Um, I'm a vice chair. You know, I, I intend to continue with the organization. I don't have that historical bad blood, um, but I will say it is palpable between the two organizations. And, and as someone who's kind of come in and, and was originally neutral and I just I was kind of surprised by how much of that still existed. I think with a newer board, newer board members, we're cycling out of that. But it's I think those personality conflicts of the past and and the actions that resulted you know, in the, the 2000s, we'll say in the 90s, like those are just carrying forward in a way that is really difficult to break. And, and I, you know, I think our biggest struggle is how to break that. But now it's not our biggest struggle, I guess, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but it's a good point, right? Because when new people come in and they're not joining something that has a positive relationship, it's really hard as as a new individual joining something to reach <laughs> out when other folks who have been there for a while don't trust the other group or potentially bad mouthing it. If, like it, it really can can inhibit any growth, even if the personalities themselves change. Uh, that yeah. lack of, uh, of initial contact really can hold things up. It's true. And I was definitely hoping that with a, a set of new faces on each each side, so to speak, that we'd be able to get past some of that. And I know our our discussions have definitely trended away from that. And, you know, obviously there is still some tension because of the past two or, and, and some change years where we've been really struggling with this relationship. But ultimately, I think we're, we're really trying to get away from that and trying to not be mired in the past. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily get that same feeling from the executive leadership of USAC, um, or at least the the leadership of the past year or so. Um, however, you know, I think it's a, you know, we, we've been talking about it as mommy and daddy getting a divorce, right? Like, why would mommy and daddy stay together for the kids? And the thing is, it's, it's very much uh, been treated as a competition, which is a very weird thing to me because we've like my own club will be part of the, the USAC, I'm guessing, you know, we're to vote on that, but I don't foresee us going away from the USAC and I'm supportive of that. And, and the GNCC as a whole is supportive of that. And so it's, it's kind of a very odd stance where we're sort of being pitted against each other. And, you know, I, I've, will say from a personal standpoint, I don't feel like uh, we're getting a lot of compromise and, and grace from the USAC. Well, you know, since it's, it's been over the last two plus years, obviously that has corresponded with uh, the pandemic and uh, yeah. the realities of that. You mentioned the financial difficulties that a lot of curling clubs have, have had. Certainly the, the same has been true in Canada as in the United States. So how many of, I, I'm not going to ask you about USA Curling's uh, balance sheet and, and what the potential ramifications of that, but for for your your members in particular, what, what have you heard from them about the financial struggles? Uh, I, I know there are arena clubs that haven't been able to get back to their facilities. Even now, uh, the ice time has been in, in really hard to find, or in some cases, just arenas uh, closed and, you know, paper clubs might not be getting together as much. So maybe the financials are a little different. So just in, in general, what have you been hearing from your members about the financial realities of the past two years for them? 
Sure. I think there was a huge decline in, in membership overall that never really bounced back. And even, even with the Olympics, we're still not completely, many clubs anyway, are not completely bounced back to that pre-pandemic level. So we really lost a lot of people and they didn't rejoin, right? And so that's not just an effect on arena, that's an effect on on dedicated clubs as well. Um, we have a lot of larger dedicated clubs that really, really suffered. And, you know, a few that, that almost had to close their doors because of dwindling membership, um, not being able to get back on the ice for a very very long time. Um, you know, when you're you're operating at, you know, we're all nonprofits pretty much, as I said, and, and you're operating at, at little to no um, excess funds, and that only can stretch your, your bills for so long, right? So a lot of it was, you know, kind of deciding what's that magic number that we can charge our members and not have them, them go away, and what can we afford with that number? And, you know, I think that there are you know, somebody kind of put it really interestingly the other day and that there's this sort of hierarchy of impact and, and finances and the club curler is generally most impacted by his or her club, second most impacted by their region, third most impacted nationally. Yeah. And so theoretically, you'd expect your dues at your club to be highest, region to be second highest, and then national to be to be lowest, right? Um, and And... I think that was kind of a, a really smart way to look at it. It's not the case of what we have right now. And so I think that's part of the reason that a lot of clubs have been looking at that going, that's a big number per person. And and just the number is $34 essentially per person, which doesn't seem like a ton, right? But if you're if you're fighting dwindling membership numbers, you're fighting keeping the lights on, it makes yeah. a difference. And uh so especially in, in big clubs where they're saying, you know, I've got to cut a $20,000 check, a $10,000 check, like that $10,000 goes a long way. And so it's um, that's the sort of thing that we were hearing, especially in the very beginning, where we had to decide how we would respond and, you know, whether we would essentially eject those clubs. And how much of the discussion, too, is because I know for me as a, a rec player in Canada, when I think of what the fees are for me for the national organization, sort of what do I get for it, right? I, I, the most obvious visual representation of what you get for it is the national championships. And, uh, you know, USA Curling has to run. I, I, would, I don't know if any of their championships would generate revenue for them the way Curling Canada, like the Briar and the Scotties, generates revenue. But even, even at that, you still have to run non-revenue generating events. Uh, mixed doubles, wheelchair, uh, the juniors, uh, mixed, like all, all sorts of things. And, and so that's the most obvious representation of, of what your membership fee goes to. So I could see how rec curlers would say, well, I'm not going to go play in that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't need it. Uh, I don't need to pay that. So, you know, is that the sort of thing where if, you know, GNCC is providing rocks to a club, Okay, I can see the the return on the investment uh, for being a member of GNCC. Is it a case where you were hearing from from clubs and from players that they just didn't see what the return on investment was for that membership and and for those dues? And is, is that part of what guided the decision making process for you to not expel them? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, that said, you know, we're definitely not responsible for their value proposition, nor do we say like their value proposition isn't good or, you know, that's really sort of outside of our purview. So I don't want to comment too much on that. But I think, 
that is certainly the sentiment that I'm hearing today, even from from this whole this whole situation that we're in across social media. And and you know, I think it's debatable. I think there there are a lot of things that are provided from a national level that uh, lead to a lot of awareness and things like that. It's you know, it's again their their value proposition is not at all our our issue. It's sure. more. Uh, I mean, I will say like we would love to have more to sell people on if we're to be the middleman, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. But um, but we said we're not going to be the middleman here. It just it doesn't make sense to us, right? Um, however, I I think that is one of the sentiments. And then um, there's also been you know, numerous cases of national events held where the clubs had a grievance or or that sort of thing. And so from a club leadership perspective, um, there are there are some situations that exist in in that realm. And again, we we are taking a step back from that and saying, like, we get it. You are a club, a fully functioning entity. You can make your own decision. If you choose to to be a member of GNCC, great. If you choose to be a member of USAC, great. Um, if you choose both or neither, that's that is your decision. And like we can only do so much. We're not we're not going to force anybody. And that's kind of a decision that's supported by our members. Right. But that leads to this lose lose situation that we're in where um, USA curling says, well, our bylaws and our policy says that you must have 95 percent of your membership paying us. And if you don't, you're not going to be a region anymore. And then our other option is eject clubs and hurt those clubs. So we chose to inconvenience clubs rather than to hurt clubs. It's kind of what it came down to. So on a purely just day-to-day basis, if I'm playing in, I don't know, let's take our friends in Potomac. It's Potomac Curling Club, uh, for instance. Uh, If this goes through in the fall and GNCC is expelled, for the average player, what effect will this have on them do you think and and sort of you know how how does the the day-to-day or once a week rec player going out who there i'm sure there's players who are who are members of clubs who maybe still don't even know that this has happened yet uh, because it is the summer and they're out of season you know just just like what is the practical impact uh for players uh, throughout the the atlantic seaboard I would generally say 95% of curlers don't have any sense of what the GNCC or USA curling do. You know what I mean? It's very, it is wholly club based. And so like fairly, and and we wouldn't want necessarily casual curlers to be all that worried with what's going on at the governing body level. Um, So I would say like 95% of curlers are going to be pretty, pretty well unaffected as long as their club is unaffected. Um, And so that's, that's where the question comes into play, right? Does the club, um, is the club affected by not being a member of any organization? Um, in, in most cases, I would say generally it's a minimal effect if they are not a part of an organization, um, depending on the services that they pick up from each. So kind of a, sorry for the wishy-washy answer, but it really is dependent on the club. Um, that said, like a rec curler who's curling once or twice a week, probably not going to see anything from this. Um, I would say where you're going to potentially notice the effects is the people who want to go to things like national playdowns, right? So you've got 
200 or so people who are probably going to be heavily affected by this. And it's out of our 6,000. So, you know, we, we sort of, that's the group that we want to make sure are protected. Um, you know, we also want to make sure that clubs who want to maintain their USAC status are protected. So there are options to do that. Um, we support that. Like I said, it's not, a, you know, it's not a, we're taking our toys and going home sort of thing. We're going to exist as a service organization, no matter what, and we're going to continue to serve our community. And that's, that's kind of the, the underlying piece. And as you mentioned, there's still a few months until the actual vote takes place that the board voted on this, but it takes the larger vote. Is there anything that is upcoming uh, between now and October that uh, could change things in any way? Or, or is this 100% going to a vote and we just see what the result of that vote is? It's a great question. There is a, um, a judicial hearing and we, we intend on putting together a case for that. Um, and that's with the, the USAC. Um, we will we'll investigate any avenue that makes sense because I, I don't think it necessarily makes sense for us to exist separately in the way that we exist right now. Um, it just, it's, I would rather see us come to a compromise and leave the GNCC as a region let there be, you know, a separate membership category of people that are, you know, not part of the USAC. We give them access to win them back if they want. Um, but, you know, I, I still think there's opportunity for a compromise, perhaps. Um, however, I the likelihood that that happens, based on everything we've been through in the past two years, I th- I'd say it's pretty slim. Um, I would say it's it's probably going to go to a vote. In October. And I would say until October, even though we have clubs curling in the summer, especially in arenas and things like that, um, again, average curlers are not going to see very, very much effect from this. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's certainly an interesting uh, scenario, particularly, you know, we we joke all the time at the start of a new quad, everything changes. I I didn't expect this (laughs) to be one of those changes. Uh, (laughs) But uh, for anybody who wants to uh, learn more, about uh, GNCC or follow along with the uh, as this plays out over the next few months, uh, what what message would you have for them, and where would you point them to go to uh, to keep tabs on what's going on? Sure. So we are um, as as soon as we get information, we're making sure we update our membership, so specifically the the GNCC um, clubs. But we do have a place on our website, GNCC.org, where we're starting to put in all the the announcements and documentation and things like that. That you know, people if if anybody wants to do a little little light reporting work of their own, they can go on and check it out and to see you know kind of how we got here and then what's you know what the communications say specifically. Uh, we're working on some FAQs to help answer some member questions and, and you know, questions that we're getting from outside of our members even. Um, we've gotten a lot of support from across the country. So really grateful for that and from Canada as well. So <laughs> thanks to everyone who's reached out. So I'll say that. Um, but it's, you know, I think it's human nature to have some questions. It's human nature to want to point some fingers. Um, yeah. Ultimately we want to work toward a solution trying to figure out right now or in that fact finding stage of what that solution will be and, and you know, how we present that the best way for everybody. And uh, we'll certainly be watching uh, closely from up here and then uh, we'll update uh, as the situation uh, evolves and uh, certainly wish uh, all the best for GNCC and all the members out there. So uh, Kristen Conrad, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, join me today. Thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure. So there you have it, my chat with Kristen Conrad and I thank her for her time. And I should point out too that we did reach out to USA Curling for a statement or to see if anybody wanted to come on. 
as of recording, they have not gotten back to us yet. They do. They are certainly welcome to come on the show or, or provide a statement. Uh, but uh, as I say, as the time of recording, that has not happened. I will recommend to you the Chip Chat episode with Dean Gemmel. He went on to discuss the situation uh, from his perspective. So I, I would recommend that too if you want to get a sense of where USA Curling's mind is at uh, or, or, or how this came across from their perspective. So uh, this is something we will continue to follow. As Kristen said, a vote coming up in the fall. So it's not a done deal as yet, but uh, certainly doesn't feel at the moment like things will significantly change. So so that's uh, where we'll leave it for now. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you have not yet, please do subscribe. Wherever it is you get your podcasts, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps other people find the show, keeps us growing. You can head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes available under the podcast tab. Plus, all the merch is available there as well. Proceeds to Food Banks Canada and the Sandra Schmerler Foundation. We, of course, match all of those. And, of course, do follow along with everything going on on social media at GameOfStonesPod on Twitter, Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear, just reach out, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So that's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Scott should be back next week, as I did get a text from him while we were recording that he did figure out who put the bop in the bop, shoobop, shoobop. And now all he needs to know is if that is the same person who put the dip in the dip to dip to dip so a big breakthrough there for scott good job buddy and uh, we'll have him back next week and for all of you out there we'll look forward to that and until we speak again keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern make the final